0: Well, it is great to be with you today as we begin our annual four campaign and I'm especially excited and I'm honored to be invited into your home today. If you're watching with us online, I'm so glad that you get to be here with us for this. One of the most incredible things, if you just kind of stop and think about it, one of the most incredible things that we actually believe as followers of Jesus is that everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. Right, that our Heavenly Father actually cares about everyone, even if they don't care at all about Him. And in the first century, this incredible truth was lived out by the followers of Jesus in such a way that it literally captured the attention of the non-believing world because of how it behaved. And not simply because of what It It was a version of our faith that people wanted to be true before they were able to believe that it was actually true. And at the very center of this thing that we call the gospel, we talk about all the time at faith, is this whole idea that Jesus' extravagant love towards us, that is what compels every single one of us to be extravagantly generous towards other people. We're not generous because it's natural to be. We're not generous because we're forced to be. We are generous simply because we recognize that our Heavenly Father has been generous for us. And in the first century, the thing that set apart these these followers of Jesus, who at that time were known as followers of the way. That's what followers of Jesus were called back in the first century. The thing that set them apart is they exhibited a type of generosity that was absolutely unseen anywhere else in their world. And the people who were living around these community, uh, this community of believers, these believers all scattered throughout the Mediterranean Rim, it, it was this question, okay, what in the world is actually up with these people? right? Because in the first century, you did for others what you expected that those others were going to do for you. The reason I would help you is so that when I'm in need, then you would help me. But Jesus came along and he said this, listen, if you're going to be my follower, we're not going to do it that way. If you're going to be my follower, Jesus said, no, I actually want you to help people who will never help you, and I want you to do for others knowing that those others are never going to do anything for you. In fact, Jesus said, I even want you to love your enemies, and I want you to pray for the people who persecute you. And then just to make sure that everyone knew that he was really serious, Jesus would go on and he would teach these amazing these amazing parables, parables like the good samaritan And he would go into these villages and he would go and find the outcasts in the city and he would go visit with them and he would show them incredible levels of dignity and respect. And the followers of Jesus in the first century, they picked up on this. And very soon, this is what began to characterize the church. Because it was in the church that children started to, to, for the very first time, that children began to be treated with the respect and the dignity that normally was only given to adults. In fact, it was in the church that um, these adults would go out and they would comb the riverbanks. They would comb through the forest and they would pick up these children who, who had been exposed. These children who had been left to their fate. They would gather them up. They would bring them into their homes. And it was the followers of Jesus that would take these unwanted children and raise them as their own. In the first century in the church, it's where women found safety and dignity and equality. And the Roman world and the Middle Eastern world saw these extreme levels of compassion and generosity. And it was just so absolutely unbelievable to them. And so they wondered, where in the world, where in the world did this actually come from? And this is what ended up characterizing the church in the minds of people in the first century. At a time when the followers of Jesus had almost no leverage. No leverage whatsoever in society. And so once a year, we take time to remind ourselves of what is to still characterize us as followers of Jesus today in terms of society. And so we do together corporately the same thing that hopefully every single one of us does all throughout the year individually, which is to figure out ways to be blessings to our community and to be the example of Jesus and to love people, whether or not they like us, and especially if they are nothing like us. Because at a time in our world where it seems like you can argue with anybody about anything and disagree with anybody about anything, what is undeniable is that no-strings-attached generosity is absolutely irresistible. No-strings-attached generosity is what became the hallmark of the first century church, and this is what we want to be the hallmark of our church. And we do it not because we think this is somehow going to change the world, right? although we hope that it does. We do it because we recognize that this is a reflection of what our Heavenly Father has done for each of us by sending Jesus into this world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so today, as we kick off our 4 campaign, we're going to look at something very, very interesting. Something very interesting um, that, in fact, even if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, this would be something that would be easy to miss. Which is that this whole idea of no strings attached generosity, even though it was characteristic through Jesus' ministry, it also was a big part of Jesus' introduction into our world. In fact, it's the gospel writer Luke who's going to clue us into this in just a couple of minutes. And Luke tells us something very interesting at the beginning of his gospel about a guy that you've probably heard of. His name is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a very interesting person. He's an actual historical figure. If you grew up uh, at a time maybe where where people thought that that he was fictional, um, nobody believes that anymore. Everybody believes that John the Baptist was, in fact, a real, live human being. Um, Josephus, the Jewish historian, talks about John the Baptist. Even the Quran talks about John the Baptist. Everyone believes that John the Baptist was an actual, um, real, living, breathing, historical figure. And John the Baptist had a very, very unique role. His job was to get the world ready. His job was to get the attention of the world because God was about to do something. God was about to show up in the world in an unmistakable way. And John was the kind of guy that if you ever went out to see John, you always took a group of people with you, right? And you'd kind of stay back um, at a distance because there's always safety in numbers, and you would never ask John the Baptist to actually like, come home with you and have dinner w- with the family. John the Baptist was not that kind of a guy. John's goal was to get people looking and expecting and anticipating and waiting to see this amazing, amazing thing that was about to happen. When God would physically show up, when he would actually show up on this world where his kingdom would become apparent amongst us. And so today... As we kick off our four campaign together, I want us to focus in on the very same thing that John the Baptist said was to be the focus of anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God show up in their world. Because I'm willing to bet that you, like me, would like to see the kingdom of God show up in your world. And so this begins in Luke chapter 3. If you want to follow along, you can do so in one of the Bibles in front of you. Or we're going to put all the verses right up here for you as well. And if you're here today or if you're watching today and if you would say that you are someone who's slightly skeptical uh, uh, when it comes to the Bible or the the historicity or the accuracy of all this, I want you to pay very, very, very close attention to how um, the gospel writer Luke actually begins this account. Because remember, Luke is a man of science. He's a doctor and he's a historian. And this doesn't start like, you know, in a galaxy far, far away or, you know, once upon a time or anything like that. That's not how Luke starts this. Instead, he says this. He says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate, right, we know that name, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod was tetrarch over Galilee. Herod's brother Philip was tetrarch over Ituria and Tracontus. And his other brother, Lysanus, was Tetrarch of Abilene. At the very same time, it was the high priesthood of both Annas and Caiaphas. Right. In other words, Luke is telling us, listen, I want you to know exactly when this took place. I want you to know exactly where this took place. Luke is giving us all kinds of detail here because he's saying, go ahead, I dare you, fact check me on any of what I'm about to tell you, you will discover every single bit of it is true. And the reason he gives us all this detail like this is because he wants all the Roman people and all the Jewish people who would read this after he wrote it. He wanted all of them to understand exactly what he was referring to. And he tells us this. He says, one day, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah. This is our guy, John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness. And when that happened, this is what he did. He went into all the country around the Jordan and he began preaching A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness uh, of sin. And then like any good historian, John kind of pauses for a moment and he says, okay, here's why you care. You didn't actually know that you care about this, but here's why you care. This is what John tells us, that we need to remember that John the Baptist himself is actually predicted. Right, Luke wants us to remember that John the Baptist was predicted 700 years before John, before this ever happened. It was the prophet Isaiah that told us that one day there would be a voice. One day there's going to be a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare, right? That's the key word, prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Right, Isaiah is saying this, listen, you will know that, the, that God is about to do something special in the world when one day somebody shows up who tries to get the attention of the world. He tries to get people interested. He tries to get people excited. Because when God is about to do something, God wants to make sure the whole world is aware that he is about to do something so they're expecting it, so that they are waiting for it, so they're anticipating it. Right? This is what um, John the Baptist, this is what his role was, this is what his ministry was. And so Luke then tells us what it is that John was actually saying as he went around um, the Jordan and started a preaching and asking people to be baptized for the repentance of their sins. He looked at these people and he said to the crowds that were coming out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers, right? How'd you like to be greeted like that at church, right? You brood of vipers. We're so glad you're here today. You brood of vipers. He's He's intense. Who warned you, right, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? See, this is why when you went to see John, you always went with the group, right? You always stood a little bit away from where the guy was standing because you never quite knew exactly what John was going to say or what he was going to do. But Luke tells us that John continued and he said this. He said, produce fruit, right, produce fruit. In other words, I want to see evidence, right, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Right? In other words, John is saying, listen, come on, don't tell me you prayed about it. I, I don't want to hear that nonsense. I, I don't want to hear what's going on in the quietness or the secretness of your heart. John says, that, come on, don't play those games with me, P- produce fruit. I want to see evidence. I want to see something that makes it visible. I want to see some kind of outward sign that there's something actually going on on the inside of you. Produce fruit. I want to see evidence, John would say. There needs to be something visible that that tells the world that you're actually ready that we're actually ready to see what God's about to do amongst us when his kingdom comes amongst us as God is about to get into our world. And then this really got him mad. He continued and he said this, And do not begin to say to yourself, Well, we have Abraham as our father, right? This is really whiny. We have Abraham as our father. That's how I think that, that John was saying it to these people. Don't tell us that. Don't give me that. In other words, don't tell me who your family is. Don't tell me about what your parents did. Don't tell me you grew up in church. Don't tell me any about that stuff. I'm not talking, I don't care about what your grandparents did or your great-grandparents did. I don't care about any of that, John is saying. This is about you. And if I don't see something in you, some outward sign in you, that says that your heart is ready for what God is about to do in this world, come on, don't play games with me, John is saying. Right, John is very aware, he's very aware of what it is that we say and how we kind of separate things out in our lives. And then he continues and he says this, he says, listen, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. In other words, who you're related to, it's as valuable as a pile of rocks, right? This was so offensive, it was so incredibly offensive to all the Jewish people who were listening that day. And then if that weren't enough, he continues and he says this. He says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit, right? Evidence, got to see it. Good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. Like some of you grew up in that church, right? And the interesting thing is, As you read the other gospel accounts, Matthew tells us about John the Baptist, Mark tells us, John tells us, all four gospels writers tell us about John the Baptist, what you discover is that this is pretty much John's message. Like day after day, week after week, month after month, right? saying the same thing over and over, possibly even year after year, but eventually, Eventually, some of the people that came out to hear John, they, they heard these words and, you know, they, they thought to themselves, you know, he, he, he's right. I mean, if I'm honest, I mean, I I mean I know he's crazy, right? He's Obviously, John is crazy, but, you know, th- there's a part of him. I mean, because if I'm honest, I'm, I'm playing this silly game, right? I go to temple, I do my little sacrifice, and then I kind of run out here and. I do whatever it is I, that I want to do. And there's, there, 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 there's this, if I'm honest, there's this growing gap right, between my internal devotion to God. Right, I, I, I know what is right, but I'm not necessarily doing the things that I know that are right. I mean, there's this internal gap between my, my growing, my internal devotion to God and then what I actually do in the course of my life, and I know what my mom and dad taught me, I know what my grandparents taught me, I even know what my great-grandparents taught me, and, and I go to temple, and we do Passover, and we do all the rituals, and, and we do all that stuff, but, but if I'm honest, like other than going through the motions, other than, other than kind of doing all those rituals, if I'm honest, I am far, I am far from where God would want me to be. I mean, on the outside, sure, everything looks great. But on the inside, if I'm honest, I'm nowhere close. I I am nowhere close to where God would want me to be. And to think, I mean, the the, the, the kingdom of God is actually going to show up. And I could miss that that God is going to actually show up in my presence and I could miss that? I don't want to miss that. I, I don't want to just keep my head down day after day and go to work day after day and go to school day after day and just kind of do homework day after day. I mean, that the kingdom God would God sh- would actually show up in front of me in my presence personally and I could actually just totally miss it? I don't I, I don't want to miss that. And so there's this group of people, Luke is telling us, that thought to themselves, okay, John's definitely crazy. I mean, he is out there. But if we're honest, I mean, if we're honest, he, he, he's right. I mean, he's right. And so Luke tells us then that um, one day a, a group of people who have been listening to John for a while, they kind of get up the courage and and after John kind of goes through you know his his standard speech, they kind of get up the courage and they want to ask John a question and it's actually a question um, that John is ready for. in fact, it's a question that John um, ha- had been hoping for and so this group of people they go up to John and they say to John, okay so so what?" What, what should we do? I mean, if there needs to be fruit, right? I mean, if the, John, you're saying there needs to be evidence. If if, if there's got kind of, to be some kind of visible manifestation, like John, if, if we have to do something so that we're ready, so that we can see the kingdom of God, so that we don't miss the kingdom of God, John, if there's something that we're supposed to do so that we don't miss that, John, we don't want to miss that. So, so John, um, w- what should we do? And so John says, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Go to church. And while you're at it, read your Bible. Now, the reason, see, some people get my humor. Um, The reason reason that's funny, and you didn't know it was funny, but I'm telling you, that was funny. Um, The reason that's funny is because if you're reading your Bible, that is not at all what John says. But see, here's the thing. This is exactly what you would expect, isn't it? Right? You ask a religious question, you would expect to get a religious answer. I mean, if we're asking John, okay, John, what do we need to do to show the world and to prove to the world that we're ready? That we're ready to see, that we're ready to welcome, that we're ready to participate in what it is that God is going to do in our world. If we're asking a question about doing something with God, you would expect the answer to have something to do with God or church or temple or prayer or devoting or reading or meditating or something. John, what is it that we're supposed to do? What's the evidence that we're ready to see? What's the proof that we're not going to miss what God wants to do in our world? And in our world, in my world, in your world, what's the evidence of that? And John says, okay, well, I'll tell you. Anyone who has two shirts, you should share with the person who has none. Okay, John, hang, hang on. Maybe you didn't understand the question. We're asking about God. We're asking what do we need to do to be ready to see God working in our world. And John would say, well, you heard me. If you have more than you need, then you should share with the person who is in need. Okay, John, I don't think, I think we're missing each other here. I'm asking about God and you're telling me about people. What is it that I need to show God that I'm ready to see what God is about to do in my world? And John says, listen, I already told you. If you have two of something and someone you know has none of something, then I want you to take one of that thing that you have two of and give it to the person who has none so that that way you both have one. Are you sure, John? This is what we're supposed to do, really? Are you sure? Well, there is one other thing that you have to do. Okay, okay. And the person who has food needs to do the same thing. Now, we totally miss this in our world. Right, Because the truth is, when you leave today, those of you who are watching today, if you go out, you take a drive this afternoon, you guys on your way home today, you will drive by more food on your way home today than people living in the first century saw in a lifetime. We will each, individually, we will say no to more food in the next six months than the people living in the first century could say yes to in a lifetime food was scarce right the only thing that kept in the first century was grain right and so when Jesus taught his disciples to pray and to ask God for their daily bread right that was literal most people all they ate was bread day after day after day right occasionally there would be meat occasionally there would be some vegetables now and then occasionally there would be some 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 fish And, 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 you know, a family can live on one shirt, right? Your kid can live on one shirt. Your family will get by with a shirt. But you run out of food? That's a whole different story. And so when John said this, the people who are listening to John are like, okay, John, not food. Like, not, you can't, I mean, a shirt, maybe. Not food, John. But see, John says this, listen. You want to know that your heart is ready to see what it is that God's about to do in our world, what God wants to do in your world? Then you need to be able to give what in fact may be most difficult for you to give. And see, the people listening to John that day, they were so confused because they kept asking John about God and John kept talking about people. And John was introducing, this is such a big deal. John was actually introducing what would turn out to be a major theme of Jesus' ministry, which is that you cannot be right this way and wrong this way. You cannot be good with God and unconcerned with people. And John is telling us and reminding us. And he would say to us if we asked, do not think for a minute that God is going to be good with you if you are not concerned with the people who are made in his image. See, this was brand new. And Luke goes on to tell us that there's actually two other groups of people who were present on this very same occasion, neither of which we would expect to be there. But both of them show up, and then they ask John the same question. The first group, even some tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher what should we do now if you're familiar with the gospel then you already know this if you if you've read your bible if you're familiar with the bible then you already know that in the first century there are two groups of really 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 just bad people that everybody hated and they were referred to as sinners And tax collectors. And the the tax collectors were so despised that not even the sinners wanted to be known as tax collectors. In fact, the sinners would say, I'm kind of offended personally that you would think that I might be one of these people. Right? That's how hated and despised the, the tax collectors were. And so evidently a group of tax collectors came out to hear John speak. And some of them went up to John and actually asked him this question. What should we do? John, is there any hope for me? I mean, John, is there any hope for me? I, I, as a t- I, is there any hope for me as someone who is so unceremonially clean, unclean? So ceremonially unclean? Is there any hope for me that I can't even begin to think about walking into the temple to try to make things right with God? I mean, John, is there any hope for me? I don't want to miss what God's doing in my world, but John, is there any hope for me? John responds, and he says this. He says, do not collect any more than you are required to. And It's like, okay, John, maybe you don't know what I actually do. I are a tax collector, right? This, I, I am collect more than is required to. I mean, John, did you see who I came here with? Did you see, do you know where my house is? John, do you have any idea how many servants I have? If I don't collect more than I'm required to, John, all of that goes away. If I don't collect more than is required of me. To which John would say, well, do you want to show fruit? Do do you want to show evidence that something has changed inside of you, that you're ready to see? what God is doing in your world, then do not, requ- do not collect more than what is required of you. Do not do what you can justify. Do what is just. And then Luke tells us that another group of people showed up to ask John the very same question, a group that nobody would expect to be there. Then some soldiers asked him, okay, so what should we do? Because see, whenever groups of of Jewish people would gather together, Rome would always send soldiers to make sure that the Jewish people knew that Rome was watching. And apparently some of the soldiers started listening. And so John looks at this group of Roman soldiers and he says to them, he says, well, don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Don't do what you can get by with simply because you have power and authority. Do what is just. See, John tells us what we do matters because what we do is a reflection of what's in our heart. And so when the person whose job it was to get the world ready and expectant and anticipating the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth, when that person was asked, okay, what should we do to get ready? What do we need to do that's evidence? What do we need to do to prove that, that we're ready for the activity of God to show up in our world? Of all the things that, that John could have said, he says nothing that is religious, He says, if you want to exhibit the kind of fruit that shows your heart is ready for what God is about to do in your world, then you've got to be generous and compassionate and just. He said, I want you to provide for those who need provision, and I want you to protect those who need protection." And so as followers of Jesus, we want to be all about this. And we're going to continue to pray, and we're going to continue to sing. We're going to continue to gather here in in our homes. We're going to continue to worship together. We're going to continue to celebrate communion together. We're going to continue to, to celebrate baptism together. But we are not going to neglect One of the primary things, which is what separates us from everybody else in our world, we are going to continue to do for others because of what our Heavenly Father has already done for us. And that is what four is all about. Now, this is the fourth year of our 4 campaign. And in the previous three years, you have given away almost $100,000. I want you to think about that for a moment. You have given away almost $100,000 to nonprofits and other charities in our community that are working to make an incredible difference in the lives of people here and around our world who are hurting. And so the way this whole thing works is this. We know as a church that there is far more need than we will ever be able to individually take care of or meet or fulfill just in our community let alone the entire world and so instead of going and starting a whole bunch of things what we've decided to do is we actually go into our community and we look for the ministries and the nonprofits that are hitting it out of the park already people who are doing a phenomenal job loving people caring for people sharing the good news of Jesus with people and instead of competing with all those people we pour more fuel on their fire so they can go further faster. Nonprofits who focus on things like this hunger, medical care, housing, human trafficking, education, family stabilization and community health and our goal there's always um, two parts to the four campaign and this year i'm really excited because we're adding a third component a sponsor component there's always a a give component there's always a sponsor component and then this year i'm sorry this is new we're adding a serve component as well we are set up um, this year so that there everybody can participate, whether you're here with us in person or online. We're asking everyone to take part in these components because we want 100% participation. We're going to take 100% of the money that we raise during 4 and we are giving 100% of it away. No service charges, no handling fees, no admin charges, none of that stuff. So this is why during our 4 campaign, I don't mind pushing a little hard on you to give. Whether you're a church person, not a church person, or can't stand the church person, doesn't matter to me because this is not about us. This is about our community and it's about our world. And listen, I know you want to make a difference. And I know that you want to be generous. And the for campaign is the way that you can do both of these things. And the great news is this. This year, there are no shortages of anything. We still have plenty of opportunity, and so we're still asking 100% of you to participate. We want 100% of you to give, and we want 100% of you to serve, and we want every home to to sponsor. And again, the only way the only thing we ask you to do at this first part of the campaign is we ask each of you to give 1995 and whatever comes in, we give it all away. So, for one easy payment of 1995, you too can change our world. Now, you can give more if you want. Some of you in fact can add an extra 0 at the end of this number. Some of you can add a couple of zeros after this. And if you can, I hope that you will, because that will be awesome, and, whatever comes in, 100% of it, all of it gets given away. No service fees, no admin charges, no nothing. 100% goes to help these ministries and these nonprofits in our community. And that means if all of you who are here today and everyone who's watching today, if all of you, if we all give just $19.95, we will raise $20,000 today, and that $20,000 will help to fund and to sponsor Two amazing nonprofits in our community. The first is Abigail House of Sterling Heights. Now, Abigail Ministries began in 1997 with the belief and the conviction that all life is precious and all life is a gift from God. But Abigail also knows that uh, for a mom, a single mom, who wants to have a baby and who is facing homelessness, those challenges are so much more significant. And so that's why Abigail Ministries provides housing, education assistance, medical assistance, transportation assistance for babies and their mothers for two years after the babies are born. They have a passion not only for seeing women become mothers, but also helping women break out of cycles of poverty and abuse. During their time with Abigail, women are encouraged and helped to uh, to finish their degrees. They are helped with nutrition assistance. They're helped with infant care and they have the opportunity they are helped the abigail help, house helps them to find employment as well one of the things that abigail ministries is working on that i think is so amazingly cool is they know that the challenges for single moms and their kids do not end after two years and so because of that they are right now working on a long-term housing A facility, a a residential community where these single mothers and their kids can live after the two-year residential program and where they can form a community of single moms and kids that will be there to actually support and encourage and walk alongside one another. Now Charity Lutheran Church in Detroit uh, is on the east side and Charity Lutheran's pastor Dietrich Gladden um, knows why his church's name is Charity. Because he and his church are very committed to giving to people without expecting anything in return. Every single year, they give away more than 2,400 meals to kids in their neighborhood. They provide safe homes for people who are living in one of the most dangerous communities in the nation. And they engage with other community partners to help bring restoration and healing into this neighborhood. They host block parties, they host prayer walks, they host community cleanups and other block clubs. Now, Bangladesh, this is the other thing that we're doing this year, which is kind of new. In addition to supporting these two awesome ministries, we also want to help fund a great big baptism, which is taking place in just over a month in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a country of about 163 million people where less than 1% of the population identifies as followers of Jesus. Now, Pastor Elio and Mary Boraget, have been members of faith for a long time. And since 1999, they have been pastoring Living Word Church in Gopalangaj, Bangladesh. Now, when they're here in the United States, Elio and Mary live in Hamtramck and they work amongst the Bengali population there and they take the money that they raise or that they earn from working at a fast food restaurant in Hamtramck, and they send that money back to fund their church in Bangladesh. Now, their church has grown dramatically in the last several years. In fact, we'll put a picture up here for just a moment. Their church now meets in 11 different locations. These are the pastors and their wives of these 11 different sites. And in totality, every week they have 3,000 adults plus children who are gathering to worship at Bangladesh Living Word Lutheran Church. Because of this explosive growth, right, because of this explosive growth, Pastor Elio is going to be leaving the United States permanently at the end of December. And the reason he's going back at the end of, uh, at the end of November is because in December, he is going to baptize 500 adults who are now followers of Jesus. Right. And so... Th- this is where we come in. I'm hoping that we can provide a Bengali New Testament to every one of these new believers who's going to be baptized in December. And then in addition to that New Testament, we're going to give all of them a new set of clothes, either a shirt and a pair of pants or a dress. And that sounds really strange to us, but it's really awesome. In their culture, these new clothes that they receive on their baptism, are a symbol of them stepping out of their old life of Hinduism, their old life of Islam, and stepping into a new life as a follower of Jesus. And so we want to help make that happen and we want to try to fund that. Your 1995 is going to go to all three of these organizations. It's going to be game-changing for these ministries, and it's going to be life-changing for the people that these organizations are serving. But again, this is only the first part. This is only the give part. The second part, is the sponsorship part. And that happens when you sponsor a child this year for Christmas through gifts for all God's children. Now, many of you have done this for years, and I'm so excited that we continue to do this and that you continue to sponsor kids. I don't want you to miss how significant this is, though. When you sponsor a child or two children or five children through gifts for all God's children, ultimately those presents that get given away are given away through a local church. We don't give them away. So what you're doing is you are raising the reputation of all of these churches and all of these organizations in the very communities that they serve with the people that they're trying to do ministry with week in and week out. This is such a big deal. These are all our ministry partners this year um, through Gifts for All God's Children. Some of them are located in Detroit. These two organizations we're partnering with this year are located up in the the UP, and we have been working there for, for several years the third component that we're adding this part is the serve component and this is what we're calling sunday serve and what i'm asking everyone to do is on november the 14th that you plan on being here at faith for just a little bit longer because i want you to serve once and i want you to attend once meaning we will have worship at 9:15 and 11 a.m just like we do every week But at that same time, in rooms 102 through 106, as well as the gym, we're going to have a bunch of stations set up where you can help pack supplies for ministries that are going to be handed out during this winter to help people who are homeless, help people who are victims of human trafficking, help people who are suffering in our community. These ministries are going to hand all of those care items out during that time. You will be helping to support every single one of these ministries, all of these organizations on that one day on Sunday, November 14th by spending an extra hour here and carving out some time and helping to pack these ministry items and these care items for each of these organizations. Now, again, you can do all of this. Those of you who are here physically today, you can go in the lobby. People will help you do this. You can give your $19.95 in cash or check. You can give more than $19.95 in cash or check. I won't stop you. You can also do it online. You can do it through your phone or you can go to our website right here faithtroy forward slash four. all of you who are online right now we want you to participate you can sponsor a child through gifts for all god's children right here you can give also right here and again the bottom line right the bottom line of all of this This is what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. And now we have the opportunity in our world to do something absolutely extraordinary in the name of Jesus. Because the truth is, the bottom line is, right, this is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus in our world. And here's the part that I love, although you might not think this is great, I think this is great. When you participate in this, you get credit in heaven right Jesus said it not me right so if you don't like it take it up with Jesus you get credit in heaven but the church right the church gets credit in the community and this is such a big deal and you've heard me say this before but this is why this matters so much because everyone in America thinks something when they hear the word church you know what they should think They should think, listen, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I buy all of that. But i got to tell you, those people, those church people, those followers of Jesus people, they are the most compassionate. They are the most generous. They are the most for-me people in our community. And I don't know if I ever want to go to a church, but I'm so glad that there is a church in my backyard. Because those Jesus people, those church people, they make our community and they make our world better. That's what everyone should think when they hear the word church. And the Apostle Paul was right. And see, when we get this right, as Jesus' church, when we get this right, as the Apostle Paul said, Jesus' church, it shines like stars in the sky. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how you have blessed us. And Father, the truth is, most of us go about our days. I know this is true for me. And I, I, I feel ashamed saying it, but most of the days I, live my, I get up, I go to bed, and not once during the course of that day do I stop and think about how blessed I really am. Everything that you've given to me, this amazing country that we get to live in and be a part of, Father, the truth is I don't worry about where my next meal is going to come from. Father, I don't worry about um, where I'm going to sleep tonight. And the truth is, that's probably true for many of us. And that should not make us feel guilty in any way. You do not ever say that we should feel guilty for what we have. But you do tell us that makes us responsible. It makes us accountable. That we would do for others... What you, through Jesus, through all the blessings we experience, through all the things you provide us with, we should do for others, in Jesus' name, what you, as our Heavenly Father, have done for us. And so, Father, I pray that over these next three weeks, as we think about what it means to be generous, As we think about what it means to follow Jesus publicly and in the public square. As we think about what it means to love others the way that you, Jesus, have loved us. I pray that we would celebrate, that we would encourage, but that most of all, that most of all, that we would be generous. And we would be generous, Jesus, because you first were generous with us. And so, Jesus, we pray and we ask all of this in your incredible name. Amen.